Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to urge in the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Qatar for the Game Day World Cup podcast with me, Sam Mazzaface, alongside the Talk Sports Football correspondent, Alex Crook, and European football expert, Kevin Hatchar. We're here every day when you wake up to give you a bite-sized rundown of World Cup action, all the day's previous goals and discussion points, and then the previews to the big games of the day. Today's top stories from Qatar. The first round of matches ends with four times the number of nil-nils than the entire Russian World Cup. Cristiano Ronaldo makes history by becoming the first male player to score at five different World Cups. Red Hot Richarlison scores twice as Brazil ease past Serbia. England can qualify for the last 16 if they beat the USA and other results go their way. And Gareth Bale is set to become Wales' most capped player in their history when they face Iran. It's the Game Day World Cup podcast from TalkSport. Kevin Hatchard is here. Hello. Hello. What a it's great very day. exciting, yes, isn't it? It was, yes. Another brilliant day at the World Cup. The dullness of Switzerland and Cameroon and Uruguay and South Korea at the moments of beauty. But erased by the two later matches, a sizzling scissor kick and a slip that could have altered the whole World Cup. Oh, why didn't he just stay on his feet? Anyway, um, but here is the scores on the doors after the first round of group matches. Okay, so just, just be patient. England, Spain, France, total goals, 17. Qatar, Ecuador, Iran, Senegal, Netherlands, USA, Wales, Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Denmark, Tunisia, Australia, Mexico, Poland, Morocco, Croatia, Costa Rica, Japan, Germany, Belgium, Canada, Switzerland, Cameroon, South Korea, Uruguay, total goals, 17. That's weird, isn't it? That is weird. So that was beautifully done, by the way. I was kind of mesmerized by that. Look, I, <laughs> I, it's been really strange, hasn't it? Because there have been lots of games that have been ever so tight, all the nil-nils that you've mentioned. There's been intrigue in most of those, but it's actually just been very good defending, I think, for the most part. I mean, that Switzerland-Cameroon game, I, I thought Cameroon were great in the first half. Mm. Thought they played some really good football, didn't have a cutting edge in the end, but played some great stuff. And then Switzerland just decided, right, we're Switzerland. We can shut games down. And that's exactly what they did. They got the goal uh, and then Cameroon just couldn't lay a glove on them after that. So we've seen a lot of games like that where actually, yes, there's been a lack of creativity at times, but there's actually been some excellent defending on show as well. Absolutely. Um, why so many nil-nils? It's not because of the heat, is it? Because it's absolutely freezing in some of those stadiums, Alex. Probably because of me, I think. Um, we've got a you, you uh, the curse. commentator's golden boot competition. 
um, on our Talk Sport in Qatar group. And uh, the current standings are Jim Proudfoot, 11 goals in two games, Nigel Adderley, 9 in two, Ian Danter, 12 in three, Joe Shannon, 4 in three, Alex Crook, 1 in three, 0.33 <laughs> in a goals per game ratio. And I have to say, I've seen some absolutely dreadful performances, mm. not least Uruguay with a 56 year old overweight, unfit Luis Suarez leading the line up front. You yeah, can say voice, Alex. I've, I've certainly done that. Suarez. He was, he, I just felt he looked out of shape. He looked out of place. He didn't look right. He, he wasn't moving with any speed. Uruguay look very much like an aging team, don't they? You know, they've got uh, Fede Valverde, who's been brilliant. They've got uh, uh, Bentancor, who's done very well at Tottenham and looks fitter. And Lina, he's done the special fitness regime to make sure that he's, he's up to speed with Antonio Conte and now using that for Uruguay. But at the other both ends of the pitch, they're all about 108 which doesn't help. Um, let's focus on Portugal, uh, Ghana, 3-2 in Portugal's favour. Cristiano Ronaldo becoming the first male player to score uh, five different World Cups. I mean, the first question is this, really. I mean, how, what an achievement it is to be able to, to say that you've scored at five different World Cups. You know, when you go back to 2006, when Ronaldo first scored at a World Cup, I think João Felix was six years old and Rafael Leal was seven or something, you know, and, and they all scored in the same game um, against Ghana yesterday. That's a terrific achievement, but come on, don't tell me that's a penalty. No, I agree. Absolutely agree. And um, But that is the softest penalty that you will ever see. And actually, if you, if you analyse Ronaldo's overall performance, it was the Ronaldo that has laboured at Manchester United this season. It was certainly mm. not vintage Cristiano Ronaldo. It was all about getting himself on camera, wasn't it? I mean, the penalty itself, he looks like he thrusts his right leg in between the two legs of the defender, Salasu. There's a little bit of contact there, but not enough for him to go up in the air on two feet and go over half a second afterwards. The contact doesn't equal the reaction and also the timing isn't completely right. So it looks very odd when you see it on the replay. I can't believe that the VAR didn't intervene in that. I mean, there's enough VARs in there. There's 27 of them sitting there watching the screen. Why didn't one of them say, hold on, this doesn't look 100% right. Do you want to at least check it? Anyway, theatrics at the end when Inaki Williams (laughs) caught out Diogo Costa. That's the big moment. You know, it could change the whole course of the World Cup. You know, Portugal could have drawn that game, et cetera, et cetera. He slips, he loses his foot. And I spoke to Robbie Keane, because Robbie Keane's done this. I spoke to Robbie Keane last night, and he said he came in at the wrong angle. He was too tight, so his turning circle was too tight. So when he went to, to turn and quickly fire the ball, it was, it was too narrow for him to get his whole body round, so that's why he slipped. He needed to come in at a slightly different angle, take the ball round him, and pop it in. Look, he's the expert, I trust him. What annoyed me, Kevin, was that the camera then went to... Cristiano Ronaldo, who knew that there would be a lens trained on him and then did the most theatrical face ever. Uh, yes, well, we're used to that, aren't we? Really used to his reactions to being on camera. I I was gutted for Iñaki Williams because I, I would have loved him to have scored that goal because we would have been talking about it forevermore. That would have been mm. one of the great World Cup moments. Um, would have been great for Diogo Costa. I'm sure he was delighted that <laughs> he ended up slipping because him getting caught out, they'd have never stopped talking about that. But I thought Ghana posed a real threat. Uh, and I think there were spells in the game where 
that couldn't quite hit that intensity. And that was a shame because every time Mohamed Kudus got the ball between the lines, he caused them all kinds of problems. And I think even though tongue-in-cheek he was comparing himself to Neymar the other day, I think what we did see was an excellent young player who actually was very close to joining Everton uh, at the end of the transfer window. And I think Ghana certainly acquitted themselves well. I think there are problems in that Portuguese team. Uh, I think the balance wasn't quite right. I think... You know, Alex is right. Ronaldo had chances, was the focal point of the attack, but didn't look ruthless, didn't look that sharp. But Joao Felix taking his goal, I think, was very important. And Rafael Leao as well, because he's needed a moment to really get going in this Portuguese team. And I wonder, as we move forward, obviously, Ronaldo is going to keep getting picked, but it might actually be the young guns that actually do the job for Portugal. Yes, uh, that may well be the case. Um, Brazil 2, Serbia nil. Richarlison's ridiculous goal-scoring form as a false nine for Brazil continues. I mean, he's not really a false nine, is he? He is a nine. I mean, I looked at his average positions uh, midway through that game and he is very much the number nine in that team. It's his ninth goal in seven games. And bearing in mind the injury that he's had and then he came back early for Spurs, you know, even putting his place at the World Cup at jeopardy. This is a guy with a cracking attitude. He's a really emotional guy. Um, I don't understand why when they celebrate, they slap each other on the head so hard, but that's a different debate. But what fantastic technique after a terrible first touch to turn it into an unbelievable goal, Alex. Goal of the tournament. I think we can probably close the book now. Um, you're right, it wasn't a great first touch, but the way that he redeemed himself. I mean, it was a goal uh, that really lit up <laughs> Qatar 2022. And you've got to say, Serbia gave a good account of themselves as we expected them to. But Brazil looked good, didn't they? They looked slick. Obviously, the big negative is the sight of Neymar hobbling out of the mix zone at the end of the game. His ankle really swollen. He looked in a lot of uh, anguish as he sat on the bench as well, suggesting he knows that could be a, a major problem. And that would be a huge blow, not just for Brazil, but I think for the tournament as a whole, if that ankle injury yeah. keeps him out for any prolonged period of time. I, I did think I was watching the game with uh, Dicko and with Wrighty yesterday and we were just sort of talking about Neymar. It, it, he's got so much, hasn't he? And opposition players at World Cups have traditionally just tried to nobble him, Kevin. That happened yesterday. He was getting a lot of serious attention before eventually cracking that injury. And you do wonder how bad that injury is. Sometimes it's difficult to stop him because when he's in full flight, he's a wonderful, wonderful player. But it's not a great to see one of the stars of the World Cup hobble out during the first match for one of the big favourites. No, it's horrible to see. And and this is the kind of player he's always been. He's always been the kind of guy that accepts contact and almost mm. invites it because he knows that he can get on top of defenders. He can win free kicks for his team around the penalty area. That's always the kind of player he's been. I, I always find players, I, th- I feel like Jack Grealish does the same thing, not in the same way, of course, but Jack Grealish does the same thing. And he's quite happy to invite contact to win those free kicks and help his team out and get them up the pitch. And obviously the cost of that is injuries. It will be so sad for Neymar. And I think you're right for the tournament if he is out for a big chunk of it because his whole career has been leading to this moment. This is what it's all been about. He he wants that moment with Brazil to lead them to victory in a World Cup. And this was the one they've talked about for years. So if he can't play a big role in that, That'll be a crying shame. One player that did really catch my eye, by the way, and he always does every time he comes on, Rodrigo. 
I love yeah. that kid. He Great. he is there's ice in that kid's veins. He's ready every time he comes on in a big game, whether it's for the national team, whether it's for Real Madrid. Absolutely remarkable. Yeah, um, I thought it was um, great to see both Vinicius Junior and Rodrigo play so well. Vinicius Junior actually ends up with two assists in the game because his shot was the one that came off the goalkeeper that which Richarlison converted first, and then his ball into a beautiful ball with the outside of his boot into Richarlison for the second goal. Right, okay. Uh, elsewhere, Switzerland won Cameroon nil. We've mentioned that, and Uruguay nil at South Korea nil. Um, Crook uh, commentated on this game and you can describe it in one word for us. Dyer. I'm going to go for sluggish. Okay, right. Let's go on to the big games at the World Cup this Friday. Under the lights, England against USA is live on TalkSport at 7 o'clock. Our challenge is to give our supporters a tournament that's memorable. We've taken them on fantastic journeys in our last two tournaments. Things of dreams, you know, it's not things that happen to every every kid. We was clinical in the chances that we had. You know, we played some nice football. I wouldn't change the personnel and I wouldn't change no. the formation. We did our job and we came away with a result. I, I, I imagine back in England, people are now building up the narrative. We're up and onward. I wouldn't quite say it's coming home, but the sat has been set. The football England played was magnificent. I really enjoyed England's performance. I thought they were excellent. Substitutes came on. Rashford scores with his first touch. Greeley scores at the end. We're going to have to reset. I don't like games that drift as this one did and that won't be enough for us to progress in the tournament slipped in towards Weyer who scores Weyer with the opening goal for the United States we talk about our goals and what we want to do at the World Cup I'm confident that this group is ready to play Okay, so if you're listening to this uh, this morning, uh, you may or may not know that we expect it to be Pickford in goal, back four of Trippier Stones, Maguire and the left back Shaw Bellingham and Rice in midfield with Mount just a little bit ahead of them. Saka on the right-hand side, Sterling on the left and Kane up front. That's our team that we think is going to start uh, the game against USA for Gareth Southgate. Uh, Crook, have we got the same information there? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that's the right call. My suspicions were raised when Carl Walker uh, was put up at one of the press conferences this week that maybe uh, he would come into the thinking. He may well um, off the bench. I think James Madison is the only definite absentee, so Walker might get some minutes depending uh, on how the game pans out. But they played so well, didn't they, in the first game. It would have been harsh to drop anybody, um, even Kieran Trippier, right back. So I think Gareth Southgate had the decision made for him. Good news that Harry Kane is fit. There was a scare about his ankle earlier this week. And obviously Maguire has recovered from uh, a bout of sickness as well. So easy call. Probably one of the easiest team sheets that Gareth Southgate will ever have to submit. So Kane, um, injury... Problems were not ankle, they were foot apparently. So it was it was sort of connected at the top of the foot. And Harry Maguire didn't have concussion. And it was interesting because we were discussing this afterwards, you know, because they he came off in that game and was quickly replaced. And I thought, well, was it a concussion substitute? It wasn't. They didn't use a concussion substitute. But FIFA thought that it could have been concussion. So they sent an investigation team to look at all the footage from the game to ensure that it wasn't concussion. Uh, that was affecting Harry Maguire. Because you remember there was a scene where they're doing the thing with the, the fingers through his eyes and seeing whether or not he was sort of able to focus. But apparently it was to do dehydration. I think it could have been dehydration that ended up getting him slightly ill. He wasn't feeling particularly well as a result of uh, of of that. But he's okay and he's going to get his 50th cap. If he does start the game, 
Why is it that we see two different players when he plays for club and country, Kevin? Because he was particularly good at bringing the ball out, obviously under very little pressure from Iran on uh, Monday afternoon. I think it's to do with the structure around him. I think when he plays for England, he knows exactly what his role is. He knows exactly the areas that he has to operate in defensively. I think in his nadir at Manchester United, he had fires to fight all round the pitch. And in the end, what happens is you have a guy who can't resist getting involved in certain things he shouldn't be as a defender. He gets dragged out of position. He isn't the most mobile. We know that. And so that leads to mistakes and that leads to, because he's always active in these situations, he looks like the full guy playing for United. United fans, I can understand why, but United fans have gotten his back. There's been all of the pressure that comes from playing with Manchester United and he just looks a hell of a lot more uncomfortable playing for them than he does for England. And I think it's right that Gareth Southgate is stuck by him because for England, he knows exactly what he's going to get. The other thing is, is that he says he's got full of belief in himself, et cetera, et cetera. But I wonder whether or not he, uh, and it was interesting listening to him at the press conference because he was asked about the criticism that he gets. And he just says, you know, like he's part and parcel of being a footballer, blah, 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 blah. Um, just the usual sort of platitudes on that. But one thing that was mentioned, I thought was quite interesting, was his partnership with John Stones. Those two grew up in the same sort of area. They've got a very good connection between them. They love a, a cup of Yorkshire tea every now and again. They've shipped over loads of Yorkshire tea. They've got this sort of bond that they've had when Harry was growing up at Sheffield United and John was growing up in the Barnsley Academy. They sort of played each other quite a lot. They've sort of known each other from those circles. And now they're playing together for England. And they think that that understanding and that relationship really, really helps the way that England play, Alex. It's a fantastic point because if you look at his Manchester United career of late, most of the time Harry Maguire is being partnered alongside Victor Lindelof uh, because he tends to play when Raphael Varane picks up one of his inevitable injuries. And I think you've got stats to back this up, Sam, that actually when Maguire and Varane appear together, the defensive record is much better. So I do think that's part of the issue. I think the word partnership is quite key to this whole England team, really. You can see it building already between Declan Rice and, and, and Jude Bellingham. I think that will be a, a growing factor as we progress into the latter stages of the tournament. The relationship between the players in behind, Harry Kane, Saka, Sterling on either flank, uh, they seem to be developing a good understanding as well. I'm really confident about England. I think they'll win this game. I think they'll win the group. And I think if you look at the the, the major nations that have played so far, England and their performance against Iran was one of the highlights of the first round of matches. And uh, it took me by surprise a bit because I was, I, was, I was fearful after the Nations League. But I guess it backs up what some people have said all along, that actually Gareth Southgate almost just slacked off the Nations League to focus on the real football when it came around. He wasn't the only one. Um, England can qualify as group winners should Wales draw with Iran earlier in the day and they then beat the United States of America. Um, we probably should talk about the threat that is going to be posed by Greg Berhalter's team. A very intense start to their game against Wales. They'll press you all over the pitch and try and win the ball back high up. But they don't have as much quality in front of goal maybe as other nations and that has been a bit of an issue for them, especially against teams with really good, stout defences. They haven't been able to break them down, Kevin. Yeah, and I think they made some really odd choices in that regard. Um, I they thought left Jordan, so as well. Yeah, they left um, Jordan behind, who I know he's faded a bit at Union Berlin, but he made a really good start. And there were a lot of US fans kind of scratching their heads at that. So I was surprised about that. Ricardo Pepe 
who has been a big part of what they've done in qualification and other games. He completely went off the rails at Augsburg, but he got a loan spell at Groningen in the Netherlands and has been scoring goals and playing well. So, again, a real head-scratcher that he wasn't taken. And I do think that's where they they lack quality. Uh, Josh Sargent, I know he's got goals in the Championship for Norwich, but I, I don't think he's an international quality player. And... You know, you're relying on guys like Tim Ware, and he's not a regular scorer. He can score goals, but not a regular scorer. And again, all the attacking burden for me, all the creativity, it's all on the shoulders of Pulisic. And I think if England can shut him down, then that's going to be, you know, a big step towards victory. Yeah, what a ball it was from Christian Pulisic into yeah. Tim Ware for the only goal they did score in the game against Wales. And I must say, I thought that was a really good finish from uh, Ware. His dad would have been proud of that. I mentioned earlier on when I was reading out what I thought the team would be for England, that um, it was almost sort of lined it up in a 4-2-3-1. But if you look at it, actually, they play 4-3-3 really more than anything else. And Declan Rice is, is almost on his own now as that one sitting player. And Bellingham gets through a lot of work getting up and back and alongside him sometimes, but also getting involved in the attack as we saw for the goal. The relationship between Mason Mount, Luke Shaw and Raheem Sterling in the game against Iran was absolutely integral to victory because a lot of the attacking prowess came down that left-hand side. Sometimes they then switched it to the right and then Saka and Trippier, who worked well together, I think, as well, were were brilliant. It was it was great. So we talked about partnerships and combinations. Those two areas of the field, I think, are going to be key, especially with Anthony Robinson, who is the left-back for USA, who loves to get forward, making sure that Saka can get in down that right-hand side. I know that Musa shuffles across, gets into that left-back area and blocks things up. So Saka getting down that right-hand side, Mount and Sterling getting down the left-hand side, I think it's going to be really important for England if they're going to, to break down the USA early on. Yeah, I think it's going to be critical because Robinson, I think, is a real threat. I've been really impressed with him at Fulham. Uh, I think he's an excellent player. Uh, and it's, uh, you're absolutely right. It's about exploiting the space in behind. I think that midfield battle is important as well because they do have lots of energy in mm. there with guys like Tyler Adams and Weston McKenney. They're going to try and, and, and win that battle. But I think England are capable of out-muscling them and, and and at least matching their level in terms of work rate. You're absolutely right about that midfield three. I think it's really interesting. It's quite fashionable, that whole three-eights idea, having two number eights and somebody behind them who can glue the whole thing together. What I'm yeah. going to be fascinated about with England going forward is how pragmatic will he be, say, if you've got a quarterfinal against France? Play back five. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's what I think he probably would do. Maybe what he should do. But it'd be interesting to see if he abandons it. But yeah, I think he probably would do. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Let's to turn our attention to Wales versus Iran. A 10 o'clock start for that game. Um, Wales, if they do beat Iran, it'll be a major, major, and England beat USA, it'll be a major step towards the knockout stages. Um, not saying that that would mean that England could then draw with Wales in the final group game and everyone would be happy. Would never suggest such a thing could happen. Um, but look at that Japan and Spain game later in the tournament. How big a boost will it be for Rob Page's side to have Joe Allen back fit and available for selection again? I, I mean, is he there to actually play or is he there just to be the cheerleader in the dressing room? Because I, I don't get the sense that he's going to be 100% crook. No, he isn't. Um, but I think he is a talismanic figure um, for this side. So I would expect him to get some minutes in this game. And certainly it appears to have given all the Wales fans that I've been talking to a boost. The interesting one for me is Kiefer Moore. Who I think has to start after the impact he made in that second half against the USA. And I've been watching the Iran situation as well. We saw Carlos Quiros confront uh, a BBC World Service journalist after the press conference yesterday. I think those political issues off the pitch are making a real impact on the Iran team. We know they didn't sing for the national anthem. I was actually sat with some Iranian fans who were booing the national anthem. And I think it's affecting their performances on the pitch. I think this is a game that that Wales really have to take full advantage of that and and be ruthless and go and win it. It's interesting because I said that to our WhatsApp group straight after the England victory. And uh, I got shut down by a couple of guys. That's not on the mind of a professional footballer. But actually, I think... This, I mean, it's such a terrible situation in Iran right now. And it, it, the players have been used as political football. They were taken to the palace for pictures with the president. He's obviously incredibly unpopular. There's people on the streets. People are dying and disappearing. If you listen to Human Rights Watch, there's, there's a lot of things going on there that probably need a little bit of outside investigation. Or certain, I mean, just, you don't want to get involved in other people's problems, but some, someone needs to do something. There's, it's all getting rather tense and, and, and dangerous. So the players are sort of being used as a sort of uh, uh, yeah, political football, I suppose, because they're being asked questions about it, but they know that if they answer them in a certain way, they're going to get themselves or maybe their families into trouble. That's then not resonating with the, some of the supports, the, some of the support is turning the back on the team. All of that and just worries about your family back home must be clouding their judgment. And you know, this is a team that don't concede any goals, never. Like, you know, literally over the past year, they had not one game had they conceded three goals. They conceded three in the first half, Kevin, six overall. I mean, that, that just doesn't happen to Iran. There had to be something else apart from just the football, I thought, on their minds. A hundred percent. And there have been developments in the sense that quite a prominent player who's not in the squad, uh, Hafuri, has been arrested. Uh, yes. That's been reported in Iran. And that's thought to be, by some political commentators, uh, kind of digging the ribs of some of these Iranian players. A suggestion, this could happen to you if you continue to protest. Now, mm. you know, that is an incredible... We've talked about protest already at this World Cup. We've talked about the, the One Love armband. 
this is protest with real consequence, what's happening here. The yes. fact that they have not sung the national anthem, the fact that some of them have actively spoken up in support of protesters, the fact that Sada Asmoon, the Bayer Leverkusen forward, who came on as a sub against England and hit the bar. Despite having an injury. It, well, well, he did a social media post a few weeks ago directly supporting some of the protesters and that mm. caused a real stir so look these are people taking a real risk and who knows what could happen so you know you talk about the possibility of a yellow card for wearing an armband well this is this is way above that yeah, the consequences so, are way are way more severe yeah. aren't they i mean you're talking about people's lives completely changing should um yeah it not be received in the right way. So they have to be very careful. And that's got to be destabilising. And, and Carlos Queiroz going over and speaking to the journalists yesterday, I mean, the, the, the footage was, was great. And Nigel Adley was, was, was right on the scene there. But um, I thought was, Carlos is, is very classy in the way he sort of talks to you. And he's quite sort of, you know, he's quite sort of gentlemanly. And he was gentle when he, he didn't get aggressive in any way, shape or form. He was quite polite, but he was asking the journalist, the BBC journalist, why she didn't ask questions, political questions to Gareth Southgate. And I thought, what a very naive thing to say, bearing in mind that I've, I've probably been in 90% of Gareth press press conferences over the course of the last two and a half years. And I can't remember a single one where we've had football questions as the majority subject. Most of the time that we're in those press conferences, it's a political de- debating chamber for whatever is is the cause of the day or whatever is the headline of the day. So I, I don't believe that that was a, a sensible accusation to make because clearly Gareth Southgate gets questions about politics every day. Well, this is why the whole politics and football being kept separate doesn't work. It can't work because politics and football have always been intertwined. And the reason for that, I believe, is that politics have a massive impact on society and football has a massive impact on society. And you've only got to look at Brazil. You look at the recent divisive election between Bolsonaro and Lula and Bolsonaro had tried to co-opt that famous yellow Brazil shirt for himself. His supporters wore the shirt. He's tried to use that as a symbol of his campaign. And now you've got the situation where Richarlison scores two goals and he was one of the prominent supporters of Lula. And so, you know, right there is the situation where politics and football mixes. It's incredibly naive to think football and politics are not going to mix. It's amazing, isn't it? Because I remember I was doing a Brazil game a, a year or so ago and, um, all that stuff about the shirt came up about some of the players not wanting to wear the yellow shirt. And all of the supporters at some stage were starting to turn to the away kit and using that as their, their sort of kit of choice when they went to the matches, because they did not want to be associated with that Bolsonaro regime. And you know, listen, we are walking into political waters here, but it is fascinating to see how a lot of the time, whether it's, intentional in terms in terms of how the politicians manipulate situations to make sure that they are ingratiated with football fans or the other way where political parties or groups of protesters use football as a platform to get their message across there is always a mixing a mudding of the waters between political debate protest and action and sport and if you go back through history and you don't have to look that far you'll see that it's happened quite a lot, Russia.
There you go. Um, Qatar versus Senegal is live at two o'clock. Oh, no, one o'clock on Talk Sport 2. A great game for Senegal to bounce back and set up what could be a cracking finale for them against Ecuador. Edward Mendy had another dodgy performance, didn't he? I mean, he needs to uh, improve a little bit after his uh, shakiness against the Netherlands. Chelsea need him to do that. The Netherlands themselves take on Ecuador live on TalkSport 2 at four o'clock this afternoon. Cody Gakpo, particularly impressive against uh, Senegal. What did you make of him, Alex? Were you thinking to yourself, I really wish Manchester United had got that deal over the line? <laughs> well, I know Southampton and, and, uh, and Leeds were certainly thinking in those terms, but I think he'll get a much bigger club than one of those two on the back of this World Cup. And obviously United do have a vacancy uh, in their forward line, given the departure of uh, CR7. So it wouldn't surprise me uh, if United come back in for, for Gakpo uh, when the window reopens in January. I picked him out as someone who could be a star uh, of this World Cup. And I think if you look at his performance in that first game, you can see why. I do think uh, the Netherlands are going to have to up their performance levels. They were very fortunate with the two goalkeeping errors. I don't think it was a display from them that suggested they are contenders for the World Cup, as Louis van Gaal suggested when I was in his press conference before the game. But maybe they're one of those teams who can grow as the tournament progresses. Well, you know it's going to be someone who lost their first game or drew their first game that wins the World Cup. It's, it's inevitable. Spain and England will go out in the last 16 or something, having scored a combined total of about 104 goals between them. Uh, right, OK. Um, Alex, thank you very much. See you tomorrow. Kevin, we'll see you later in the week. Uh, thank you very much for being part of the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport. Uh, when we uh, return tomorrow, we'll be reviewing the England performance against Wales and and will there also be a review of Craig David's performance at the Budweiser party at the W Hotel tonight because both Crook and I are going and I'm taking Lee Dixon with me as well. Now, I was not going to go, as you know, Crook. I was invited yesterday told you about it you said oh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of going no you didn't you said I'm going I said look I, I just don't think I'll make it because it's late after the England game one o'clock in the morning or something like that but Dicko said we've got to go to that we've got to go to that so I'm going to go and put a perform you know put in a little appearance at the Craig David thing so I'll see you there and then tomorrow we will fill you in <laughs> <laughs> and we've had seven days of the World Cup haven't we now I think it's Friday we started on Sunday it was worth it for the gag <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a very good one. Uh, right, OK. Uh, Wales-Iran, first game today, 10 o'clock. The second game is Qatar-Senegal, Netherlands-Ecuador. And then finally, well, um, England against the USA, live on TalkSport, 7 o'clock. Make sure you join us. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channel Eyes Bingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.